my chatty brothers and sisters. There's a few faces that are still napping and others that are chatting, but the deacon in the back just told me that it was time. So here we are. The Lord is good. He's brought us together for yet another Lord's Week to uh, worship Him, to focus on Him, and to, uh, to learn from His Word. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity and the freedom to come into your presence, Lord God. We just pray that um, as we, we enter into this place um, physically, that mentally and spiritually and emotionally you would prepare us um, to see your face. Lord God, I just pray that all of the, the trials and the challenges and the burdens of this week would, uh, would fade and that uh, we would be able to focus on on hearing your voice and uh, longing to see your face. God, I just pray that as we examine your word today during Sunday school, um, the uh, young people in other rooms, Lord God, and as we prepare for worship this morning, that you would be central in our thinking, that anything else would would just uh, fade away, Lord God. We thank you and we praise you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. This is our second week uh, beginning a series on Christ in the Psalms. We're going to uh, ease our way into this. It's uh, not a race, so it's a bit of a slow burn. We're going to continue through Psalm chapter 80 this week, look at just a couple of more verses. We won't complete the chapter, but uh, very excited to see and to celebrate with you the, the harmony of Scripture, how it's all interwoven, how the entirety of what we see in God's Word is messianic in nature. We talked about different types of Psalms and the uh, the misnomer, if you will, of which psalms are messianic and which ones aren't, we see that all psalms are messianic. All scripture is messianic. All of it points us to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So as we work through this week in Psalm chapter 80, we will see a a bit of this theme and see how it is all woven together. So let's go and do a read through on Psalm chapter 80 to begin. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and have given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors. And make and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt, and you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls, so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock your right hand planted, and for the son whom you have made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face, but let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. This 80th Psalm 
is uh, from a, a particular one of the, um, the Psalter, the five different books of Psalms, as we see in our handout. If you didn't receive a handout last week, uh, there are some in the back. Um, Samara will get you one if you just raise your hand. This uh, particular psalm is from the third of the Psalter, and this is intense and bleak prayers of lament. These are cries um, of, the, of the people of God to the Lord for his intervention and for his uh, salvation. And we saw last week as we began that this song, this anthem, was one of beginning with reminding God of certain promises, certain blessings to their patriarchs. We saw three people called out specifically. We saw Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, and among that, um, Ephraim and Manasseh being sons of Joseph. And we saw specifically how Jacob administered a special blessing to Joseph's sons. We saw the unique account of Ephraim and Manasseh and Joseph bringing them to his father and asking for his hand of blessing. And he did the the switch and he blessed not the firstborn, but the secondborn. And he administers this, this blessing upon them. And with that in mind, we saw the vision of God being enthroned above the cherubim and shining forth. And that bringing to mind the Ark of the Covenant. We're seeing how um, Ephraim and, and Benjamin and Manasseh were those who held the standard and walked immediately behind the Ark of the Covenant. And we see God and his people in, in song calling to mind the promises that had been made. Those through Jacob. And as we kind of pick up where we left off, it's, it's really important to note that there is yet another set of blessings that likely would have come to mind as the people of Israel sang this song, and that is found in Deuteronomy chapter 33. This is generations later, rather than Jacob blessing Ephraim and Manasseh and Benjamin, we see Moses administering these blessings. We'll just look at it briefly because it, it's worth seeing and coming with a perspective of what would have come to mind as the people of Israel sung these lyrics. Deuteronomy 33, starting at verse 12. And of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. And of Joseph, he said, blessed by the Lord be his land with the choicest gifts of heaven above and of the deep that crouches beneath with the choicest fruits of the sun and rich yield of the months with the finest produce of the ancient mountains and the abundance of the everlasting hills, and with the best gifts of earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwells in the bush. May these rest on the head of Joseph, on the pate of him who is a prince among his brothers. A firstborn bull, he has majesty, and his horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he shall gore the peoples of the earth, all of them to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. So these uh, promises that God administered through Moses to his people would have come to mind. And if you look at those verses there, we're talking about abundance. We're talking about the choices of land. We're talking about great and precious promises. And this Psalm 80 begins with those being brought to mind. And it would appear that since this is a Psalm of great lament and bleak prayer, that those promises aren't the ones that are evident at this particular time in Israel's history. This is not good times and abundance and safety in the land and and being in a safe place. These are instead dire times. 
interesting how music brings us to a particular place in our lives, right? Are there certain songs that we might hear that take us to a, a happier time? There are certain songs that might take us back to a, a special time in, in our life, right? And what we have here is the song leading in with singing about the promises of God and the good times. Now we, we pick up at verse 3. And today we're going to try to cover verses 3 through 7 specifically. And uh, what we he- see here in this song is a refrain that repeats. It actually repeats not only in this section, but then again at the end of the chapter. And it says, Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears, and you have given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh amongst themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. What we see here is a marked change in tone, right? We go from God and his promises to Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh and then thereby to Joseph to now, God, you're not listening to us. This song changes its tune. And as it changes the tune, it begins to repeat this phrase, Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. This idea of restoration is, is key. It's the cry of, of God's people to be restored to that place where they, they have the blessing of the promise. They're no longer feeling the curse or his hand of punishment, but rather they're restored. And let your face shine that we may be saved. As we mentioned last week, this notion of God's face shining on his people is his favor, his steadfast love being manifested. And we, we certainly have called to mind Numbers chapter 6. Let's read that um, benediction together, if you will, as Moses blesses Aaron. And pay careful attention to the why of this blessing. Why is God administering this particular blessing? Number six, starting at verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they be so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This blessing, this shining of God's face, was part of the people of Israel being identified as those blessed by God, those upon whom God has shown his favor. And so now this song is bringing again to mind that promise. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. It's a cry out for salvation. As we think about songs, it's really interesting to know um, and to look at the lyrics of music. Some of us can listen to music in the car and not really pay attention to lyrics. I have a very bad habit of focusing on the lyrics, and sometimes that's edifying and sometimes that's distracting. But um, in the case of this particular song, one of the things that we're going to do today together is to look at some of the history behind what is going on in this song. I mentioned the Billy Joel song last week, like, We Didn't Start the Fire. And this week, the song that, that uh, I see coming into mind is, is like that of uh, the Beatles song, the Revolution song, right? The song was written in the, in the late 1960s with um, a particular revolution in view. 
And uh, having lived in Latin America, everything's a little bit slower to catch up there. And so it wasn't uncommon for me to be in a taxi cab and listen to music. And the taxi driver was like listening to the Beatles song like it had just come out last week, right? <laughs> and there's college students in Honduras um, protesting and hearing this song in English, Revolution, thinking that it's just the right song for them at this moment in time, not knowing that it was actually two generations old, right? And it's very interesting that we'll see that in this song. This song is, is timeless in its singing. The people of Israel could have sung this at many times. This particular psalm, as we mentioned last week, was a psalm of Asaph. Now, Asaph was a contemporary and a choir director of David. But as we see and we move through this song, it's not possible that we're talking about the same Asaph in the same period of time because there's certain markers that we'll see that are really relevant. In fact, one commentary that I have here, I'm going to read just an excerpt for you. I apologize, it's a little bit academic, but it's important to keep in mind as we evaluate. This particular commentary says, Although the particular circumstances that give rise to the psalm were left unstated, it seems likely that the contents that left the psalmist's focus was on the last days of the northern kingdom of Israel before it was destroyed in 722 B.C., as he laments the utter devastation of the land and prays for restoration of the people, he mentions the three northern tribes by name. If the psalm was about the destruction of the north, there is no note of a conflict between the two kingdoms here, only the sense of distress and concern for the faith. But still, we do not know where the certain psalm originated. It could have been written in the northern kingdom. If it was written by someone in Israel concerning the final destruction of As by Assyria, then it would have been composed just prior to 722 B.C., since the psalmist prays for mercy and deliverance. On the other hand, it could have been written by someone specifically in the southern kingdom of Judah, even though Judah is not mentioned. And they go on to give some arguments by, by which they assert that this may have been written around 722 BC. I think I have a timeline. Um, and this is important because we'll notice that um, the psalm begins with the promises to Jacob back in 1750 BC, right? And then we have Moses with the, the statement of, let your face shine upon us, right? And around 1500 BC. And then we've got Asaph and David around 1000 BC. And then we've now got, through some commentaries, seen some events happening around the time of Isaiah, 722 BC. We'll come back to those dates in a minute, but keep that in mind because what we're seeing here is a recount of redemptive history. And as we look at Christ in the Psalms, what we see is the entire theme of redemptive history being woven into these particular Psalms. Let's look at verse 4 again. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. This is a time by which, during which God is not necessarily reflecting the promises to his people, except that there was a promise that their disobedience would have specific consequences. And this is called to mind very clearly in Isaiah chapter 30. If you could go there with me. We won't read the entirety of the chapter, but we have to understand its context because we'll see that the psalm calls to mind some of the very same verbs and some of the very same nouns in a similar fashion. Those Tears, this bread that's being given to the people of Israel is brought into view here in Isaiah chapter 30. If we just skim read together, starting at verse 8 from chapter 30, we'll see that this is a message 
by, by God through Isaiah to a rebellious people. And he goes through and, and he recounts for them the ways in which their sin is going to impede their communication with God. Right? One of the things that's, that's really fascinating is having grown up in the church, I don't think I was ever taught that God didn't listen to our prayers. You'd always hear in Sunday school, God hears your prayers. But guess what? Biblically, there are many times where God tells us quite clearly that there is an obstruction between us and him because of our sin. There are times where God specifically says, I'm not listening to your prayers. And this song that we see in Psalm 80 is a cry out to God saying, listen to our prayers. What do we have to do so that you hear our prayers? Well, here it's laid out for us. Um, Isaiah 30, just go through, I'll, I'll kind of pick up at verse 11 here. It says, Leave the way, turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. This is the rebellious attitude of the people of Israel. Thus, therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise his word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in the high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant, and its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel. So that it is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip out water for the cistern. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning in rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling and you said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore we shall flee away and we shall ride upon swift steeds. Therefore your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one. And at the threat of five, you shall flee till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. And I'm going to stop there for a minute. We're going to read again at verse 19. But what we see here is a promise that the northern kingdom of Israel is going to fall to the hands of the Assyrians because of their disobedience, because of impediments between their relationship in God, with God, all of the promises that God made to the people of Israel through Moses were conditional ones. Obey, and it'll go well for you. You'll live long in the land that has been given to you. On the contrary, failure to obey has dire consequences. And here we see those dire consequences being explained. There's nowhere to run. The walls will be broken down, and, and the people will be carried into captivity. But verse 19 of Isaiah chapter 30, points us again towards Messiah. Look at what it says in relation to Psalm chapter 80. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he will answer you. And though the Lord will give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to, to the right and when you turn to the left. And this prophecy specifically is pointing to the teacher, the one who would come, God, the God-man incarnate, to, to lead his people. And at that point, what we see is there will no longer be God not responding to a cry, but God will hear and respond Though there's been the bread of adversity and the tears of affliction, the teacher will not hide himself anymore. 
that points to Messiah. And so whether or not Psalm 80 was sung before or after this prophecy isn't relevant. What's key here is that the theme continues throughout this song. The song from one generation to another is the same. God, how long will you not listen to us? How long until you restore us? Going back to Psalm 80, we move into uh, the verse 5 and 6. We see, you have fed them with the bread of tears and given them the tears to drink in full measure. Verse 6, you have made us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh amongst themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Verse 6 has other words that are called to mind in this song. Other lyrics that may have taken the, the, those who were singing this song of lament to a different place. And curiously enough, the dating of the psalm comes back into view. So possibly 722 in the time of Isaiah. But guess what? We have a clear reference, a clear link between verse 6 here and Daniel chapter 9. If you go with me to Daniel chapter 9, we'll see that we're now several generations later. Quite frankly, the situation for Israel hasn't changed much, right? The northern kingdom has fallen to Assyria in all that time since 722. Now we've got the people of Israel having been dragged off to Babylon. Jerusalem was destroyed. The people were placed in captivity. And as we begin uh, looking at Daniel chapter 9 here, we have the 70 years of captivity being done. And yet, the song remains the same. The people of Israel are still crying out, God, how long do we have these tears? Do we have this affliction? Restore us and save us. The song remains the same. I'm going to read through this chapter, and we're going to get roughly to, uh, to verse 19. The context is really important, but you'll see in verses 16 through 19 is a real par- clear parallel with Psalm 80. In the first year of Darius, the son of Assyrius, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the numbers of the years according to the word that the Lord to Jer- spoke to Jeremiah the prophet that must pass before the end of the desolations of Israel, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belong righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and on all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belong open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which have been set before us by his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. 
And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out against us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words and has spoken against us and against our rulers who have ruled us by bringing upon us this great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has been nothing done, anything done like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by, our, by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous and in all the works he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned and we have done wickedly. Stop there for a moment. Do you think maybe Daniel had sung the song from Psalm 80 before? I mean, it seems like this was a song that he was familiar with. He understood, but he went beyond just the initial question that is asked in the psalm. He says, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers, O Lord? And what, what Daniel instead recognizes is why their prayers were impeded. The people of Israel were quick to bring to mind the promises to Benjamin and to Ephraim and to Manasseh and to Joseph, but they weren't so quick to acknowledge, perhaps, why their prayers were obstructed. And so Daniel's amazing prayer here is calling into mind the God of covenant, reminding God of, of, of his promises to them, but also acknowledging that all of those promises were conditional ones. There's a repentance there. Look with me at verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all those around us. Now that idea of becoming a byword links back to the psalm too. Everybody around them would mock them for what's become of them. Look at God's chosen people. They've got no wall around their city. They've got no king. They're destroyed. They've been dragged off into captivity. And so Daniel identifies with this psalm as well in saying, look, we're in dire straits, and God, for your name's sake, act. For your name's sake, restore us. And, and I love how he says so clearly, not because of our righteous acts, not because of anything we've done, because we're getting what we've deserved here, but because of your name's sake, act on our behalf. And that's the theme of this song. And that's the, the, theme, the theme of all the Psalms, and that's the theme of all of Scripture. Because of your righteousness, God, not because of our acts, Save us, restore us for your name's sake. Look at verse 17, Daniel chapter 9. Now therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. This is good. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. What an amazing prayer. And, and to me, the connection between singing and praying is so rich. There's no question in my mind that Daniel would have sung the, the lyrics of Psalm 80 as he made this prayer. God, the, 
nations around us have destroyed us and mocked us. We've sinned, but because of your righteousness, act on our behalf. Save us and restore us. And even uses the same expression from that covenant, that the covenant blessing. Make your face shine on your people. Make your face shine again on your sanctuary. And isn't that what our heart sings for? Isn't that what we want? God's restoration because of his righteousness. God blotting out our iniquities because there's nothing righteous in us. And to see his face of favor shine upon us. That's the song. That remains unchanged. Going back to to Psalm 80, we can see now that this is a a song that is carried through generations, right? We've got a mention back to the time of of Jacob and his sons and the establishment of the tribes of Israel. We've got a nod back to Moses and to Aaron. And we've got certainly some connections to the time of of Isaiah. And now we've got Daniel and, and some connections there that this song would be relevant at the time that the people of Israel were being brought back out of captivity. But guess what? The, the words of this song would have been no less relevant for the people of Israel than at the time of Christ. Right? 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's people were in this period of silence. There was not prophets. There was not messengers. There was a lack of intimacy with their covenant God. And certainly, the people of Israel uh, would have known at the time of Christ what their political situation looked like, right? They had to pay taxes to the Romans. They had a king of, of Judea and they were serving foreign powers and Jerusalem wasn't even the remotest resemblance of what it had been at the time of King David, right? And there's this longing and we see this prayer of, of uh, Simeon as he recognizes the Christ child as the consolation of Israel. We have this recognition of how bad things are and how much Israel wants to be destroyed. And in the midst of that, God breaks the silence by not sending another prophet or another messenger, but coming himself to dwell amongst us. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. That's where our uh, homework reading was for this week, right? Hopefully we all got a chance to, to read through it. The song crying out for God to come and restore is answered in this. The first few verses of Hebrews chapter one. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, like Isaiah and Daniel. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Christ came as a, as a response to the generation singing out to God, God, shine your favor upon us. Forgive our iniquities. Hear our prayers. And the author of Hebrews makes this even more clear in Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8 is a remarkable um, Old Testament quote that draws 
into focus the new covenant. So that, that Psalm 80 would call into mind precious promises, precious reminders of, of glimpses of the old covenant. But now what we see here is the new covenant coming clearly into view. The answer to that, God, how long do we have to keep crying out and you not responding? Well, here is God's clear response. God's clear response was, look, those conditions, those covenants, you guys couldn't comply. No matter how precious the promises and how dire the consequences, you couldn't do it. How many times was Israel in the same situation? But look here, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my, law, my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I shall be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one, to, each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. All of the promises of Scripture have their yes and their amen in Christ. All of the, the things that the people of Israel would have sung for in, des- in desperation and lament found their fulfillment in Christ. Those covenants that they were incapable of, of living up to have now been effectuated through Christ Jesus. I love how it says in, in this recount of, of, the old, of the old covenant, the new covenant, it says, for they did not continue in my covenant and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. There's that biblical concept yet again of, of God closing his ears to a stubborn and disobedient people. But yet his righteous acts through Christ allowed all that to be changed. Praise God for that. One other interesting observation from Psalm chapter 80 as we, as we look at the appeal to God the title for God that we see throughout this refrain that's repeated, Restore us, O God, O Lord God of hosts. That's really important because what we see there not only is God being referred to as, as the God of hosts, the one with angelic powers and armies, which Israel did not have, but also it's the personal name of God. It's Yahweh, Lord of hosts. And so as we see this song and we sing this song, it's all about the covenant relationship between God and his people. And that leads us to the new covenant. And that leads us to Christ. And the promise through Christ, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. So as generations of, of those who feared God have sung the song, we can see it through a whole new lens. Daniel certainly could have sung that hymn and, and sung that and recognized that there was a repentance that was needed. 
and that God would act righteously to save his people because of his name's sake. And now we get to see this song and understand it in retrospect. 2,000 years after Christ has come in the flesh, the God-man, to deliver a message that was hinted at and, and explained through the prophets and through the psalmists has come to fruition. And we celebrate that. So as we go through and we recognize these, these covenantal promises, we recognize that all of the promises, that all the things that the people of God have longed for, we have been given. And so our song doesn't need to be one of lament, but rather one of rejoicing. End with this. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. If you're at a point in your walk with Christ right now where you feel as though your prayers are getting no higher than the ceiling, recognize that Christ has made a way for us to communicate with God the Father. Recognize that we need to turn from our sins, confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And so those, those cries that we um, send towards God, are heard through Christ. He's come to fulfill all of these promises. Let's celebrate that together. And as we move into next week, we'll understand a little bit more of Psalm chapter 80 and how it is that this psalm points us to Messiah, points us to Christ. Father God, we thank you and we praise you that all the promises of Scripture are are fulfilled through Christ. We thank you, Lord God, that through generations through even hundreds or thousands of years, Lord God, of of this longing for Messiah, longing for redemption, longing for a better covenant, Lord God, that you have fulfilled your promise, that every promise that you have made, Lord God, has come to pass, and those that we continue to wait on in faith, Lord God, we, we ask that you would give us great confidence, Lord God, in your word, that you would allow our song to be not one of, of lament, not a song of, God, why don't you hear us, but rather a song of praise because you have acted on our behalf, not because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercy. God, may we have that in in view and may that be our song as we pray to you and as we sing to you this morning. Lord God, may we be a people filled with with gratitude, not not lament. Turn our, our, our cries into that of joy. We thank you and we praise you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.